You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. It was eighth grade. I was about this tall. I weighed about a buck and change, maybe, maybe one, maybe 101 pounds, maybe. Uh, I was on a Saturday morning at a speech contest and I stood up in front of a whole crowd of people at kind of this forensics meet, and I'd done quite a few up until this point, and there's a panel of judges, and I stood up there, and I had to memorize, my category was storytelling, I had to memorize this entire story that I did not write, I, you know, it's just, they just say, you, it's, we want to test your memorization and your delivery skills, and so you memorize this whole thing, and I get up there, and I get through the introduction, which is about a paragraph, and then I blank. cannot remember what's next. Look up, look down, walk around a little bit, try to remember. And maybe for the judges or for other people, it wasn't a long moment. For me, it was an eternity. You just can't remember. And you can't do what pastors do. When you forget what you're going to say next, you just repeat what you just said. You walk back to your notes. And then you move on from there. You can't do that, right? So I'm there, and I totally blank. And then, because I'm like, I'm like, well, I'll just make stuff up. So I just started storytelling. Like, I'm not going to just stand up there and not say anything. I mean, I'll just say stuff. So I started making stuff up. And somewhere along the way, I remembered the last paragraph. I got the prompt or whatever mentally for the last paragraph. And I kind of landed the plane. I see, like, the judges, like, flipping the page, like, I don't think that story made any sense. You know, they're just like, yeah, I didn't do well at all. And I remember driving home. My mom's driving the car, I'm by myself, I'm feeling down. I I remember literally, I literally swore I will never speak in front of people ever again. (laughs) Now see, you laugh because you get the luxury of, you know, knowing how the story turned out. But in that moment, no, it was an I swear. It was an agreement of my heart through my head that I'm just not going to do this. And it was so interesting because I had this, I had had some success doing all that stuff. I hadn't had an experience like that. And then all of a sudden you have this experience and you just swear, I will never, ever, ever do this again. That was eighth grade. In ninth grade, I wanted just to go be a pro soccer player. But the Spirit of God began speaking to my heart, not audibly, but to my heart very strongly, Dave, I want you to be a pastor. And I was like, heck no, I'm going to go be a pro soccer player. And he just wore me down in a good way. Because in my mind, as he began to speak that to me, I just thought of standing up in front of people and blanking. And that's what pastors have to do. They, they got to stand up and talk. And, and don't you know God like a year before? Did you not hear me a year before that I swore that I would you know, never do this again? But there's an enemy out there of our souls who wants to use fear and lies to intimidate you and intimidate me. And the reason that you need this sermon today, the reason that this sermon is for you, is because this very reason, there are times you want transformation in your life, and you say, how do I get what I'm thinking up here to work its way out here? How do I, you know, I don't want just mental transformation, like I believe a set of ideas, but I want my life to change. I want my life to be transformed. And the reason that you need this sermon today is this. If you can change your mind, you can change the way that you behave. If you change your mind, you can change the way that you behave. I mean, think about for a minute your most constant temptation. 
that temptation. It comes along and it's your temptation. It may be that you're in a conversation and that temptation to gossip just comes up. You come across a tidbit of information, you elaborate on it a little bit, you, you know, indulge it a little bit, you develop it a little bit, you exaggerate and you, want, you just can't wait. You're tempted to pass that on. Maybe for you it's, it's that the temptation for you is you're driving down the street and when you see that bar there, you are just tempted, like it's, that temptation is your thing. Maybe for you it's like you think, you know, when you get cash in hand, you can't handle cash because of what you'll spend the cash on. You think of your most constant temptation. You might think that your temptation is just to express to everybody else just how angry you are on the inside, how discontent, how unhappy, and they deserve to hear it from you. You're tempted to, when someone says something nasty or mean to you, to just flip around and say something nasty or mean to them. Think about your most constant temptation. And what happens for you and me is that we begin to believe in our heart that I am what I feel. See, if I'm tempted in a certain way, that must be the real me. So up here, and maybe even religiously, I'm thinking that I shouldn't do certain things, but because I experience this temptation, that's how I really am. And you begin to think that the real you is what you're tempted by. And what happens is then you begin to focus on the symptom. Well, I just won't do that. I'll just try not to do that. And then you scratch your head going, man, why? Why is my life not just being transformed? Why am I not changing? The reason that you need this sermon today is this, because if you can change your thinking you will actually change your behavior. When you just try to manage the symptom on the outside, you're not experiencing a change of the inner man, the inner woman, the heart. Romans 12, verse 2, we looked at this just briefly. Matt mentioned it, but it says this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, of your mind. Right, does it say transformed by the renewing of your heart? No. Transformed by the renewing of your body? No, it's transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then it says this, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, you and I have a very real enemy. He's Satan. And Satan is a, an amazing suggester. So he'll say, did God really say? Reserve sexual intimacy for the marriage union. I mean, nobody else maybe thinks that. Maybe the culture says to do something different, but he'll just, all he's doing is wearing down the authority of God, the truth of God. And so you, you begin to think, well, God, I don't know. May, uh, is it really your will that when two people covenant together in the security of a marriage relationship, making vows before you that are supposed to stay together, that the sexual experience and pleasure and gift is to be in that union alone? Or are there more freedoms? Now you can't test and approve what the will of God is. God, is that really your will? But then you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and it says, it is God's will that you avoid sexual immorality. It's pretty clear. But God, is that really, is that really your will? We begin to think. We begin to act. We begin to let the world and our flesh and the evil one manipulate us. Will you pray with me? Jesus, today, be our teacher. Engage our heads. Engage our hearts.
God, we know that we need you, that we cannot do this on our own, that, God, there is more to life than belief systems we've grown up with. There is more to life than, God, just doing religion for religion's sake. We don't want that, God. We want relationship with you. We want to know the living God. So, God, we pray that you would work in us, even as we sit right here right now, we invite your spirit to teach and move the inner man, the inner woman in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Why must I manage my mind? That's the question we ask. Why? Why should I manage my mind? Aren't my thoughts just my thoughts? Aren't they just kind of random? And the first reason, if you're taking notes today, and I highly suggest that you do, you've got your outline in the program, is this, because my thoughts control my life. It's what we think that works its way out in what we do. The Bible's saying that the power of your mind, the power of your thought, have tremendous ability to shape your life for good or bad. And you know how this works. When you were growing up and someone said to you, you're incompetent, you'll never do anything good. When someone came up and said to you, you're stupid. When someone came up to you and said, you're ugly. When someone came up to you and just said, you're pathetic. When you begin to listen to those lies, and maybe they were repeated over and over and over in a destructive way, and you begin to own those, whether, whether they were true or not, you begin to own those things, whether it's right or wrong, it has shaped your life, hasn't it? Don't you think those phrases shape our lives? So what do we do with them? Proverbs 4, verse 23 says this, above all else, which gets your attention right away, okay? Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In other words, there's a picture of a wellspring. Where does life, real life, come from? It's going to come from your heart, but the interesting thing you need to understand about Hebrew literature is in English we might translate that heart, but in Hebrew literature it actually says your bowels, it's your guts. In other words, in other words, above all else, guard your insides. To the Hebrew mindset, it was mind, it was anything on the inside. In America, we would say, oh, it's your heart, right? It's your feelings. So we read that verse and we're like, above all else, guard your feelings. Because that's where life comes from. And that's what our culture teaches us, doesn't it? Guard your feelings, like follow what you feel, because that's where you're, you know, you're really going to experience life. But in the Hebrew mindset, it is your inner being. It's, it's your, actually, they would say your guts, your bowels. How would you like that verse to say, above all else, guard your bowels? You're like, amen. <laughs> yes, Lord. Guard my bowels. Right? But what's he saying? The wisdom is that everything that you and I do, real life flows from that. And you begin to ask, well, Dave, I don't know. Like, how do I change the inner man? How do I change the inner woman? Could it be that when I begin to work on my mind, that biologically and physiologically, things actually change within the human body, the human makeup, that make transformation of the way I think and then the way I behave actually possible? Or am I forever just going to be against, like, like my whole body just works against me, and, and some of you feel that way already. You're just like, my body's not cooperating with what I want my body to do and how I want it to look. It just won't, it won't come along and work with me. But we learn that God has designed the human body to transform. Let me show you how. Watch this video. The human brain, made of approximately 100 billion neurons, the same number of stars that exist within our galaxy. 
The human brain monitors and regulates all of the body's actions and reactions. With over 5 trillion chemical operations occurring every second, and signals being transferred at speeds of over 260 miles per hour, our brain is rapidly analyzing and responding to all of the sights, sounds, and smells all around us. Now, because we are all born slaves to sin, our mind has been programmed to behave out of selfish desire. The way we think, dream, reason, and act are limited to the ways of this world. Now consider the facts for a moment. For every behavior we experience, our brain creates a neurological pathway. As behaviors are repeated, those pathways become increasingly more stable. Think of it this way. A single behavior maps out a dirt road in your brain, creating a basic pathway for your thoughts to travel. But as you repeat behaviors, your brain builds a highway, allowing for an increased volume and frequency of thoughts to move about, resulting in your day-to-day -day actions. In order to change our behavior, we must reprogram our brain. It requires the deconstruction of existing highways and is a process that takes time. The Bible directs us to take every thought captive and to commit daily to the renewing of our mind through the power of God's Word. And in time, the result is the formation of an entirely new neurological roadmap, leading you to the life you were meant to live. Isn't God creative? That transformation, when he talks in scripture about the renewing of our mind, he's not just talking about some spiritual thing. He's talking neurologically in your inner person. But let me ask, what roadmaps have you been paving? What lies have you been believing that you've not only been believing, but you've been reinforcing? Like you didn't just clear coat it with some asphalt like we just did in our parking lot. You, you actually tore the asphalt up and you've reinforced it with concrete. You've built up sound walls so you can't hear truth around you. And you simply have reinforced a roadmap in your mind and it's leading to your behavior. It's leading to beliefs about yourself. It's leading to your beliefs about other people. It's leading you to stay trapped and in bondage. Jesus said it this way. He said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, he said this, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil, what? Thoughts. All right, what well, time out. Thoughts come out of the heart? No, I think they messed that up, right? Thoughts come out of the mind. Out of the mind come evil thoughts. Did, they make, did Jesus misspeak the word? No, what's he saying? Out of our guts, out of our inner man or inner woman, out of our inside, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. The heart is the inner person. It's your guts. And Jesus is saying what comes out of the inside makes its way outside. So we must learn to manage our mind. Why? Because thoughts control my life. But not only do thoughts control your life, but the, why should we mind, uh, learn to manage our mind? It's because the mind is the battleground for sin. Where does that happen? Where does the battle, the pre-battle before sin gets fully realized, where does that happen? It happens in your mind and in my mind. Paul said this in Romans chapter 7, verse 22. He said this, 
For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. In other words, I delight in the truth, the word of God. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and make me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He's saying there's two things that go on. I love God. I love his word. I love the truth of his word. But in my flesh, there's another law that's going on. It's in opposition to that but that exists not just in my flesh, he says, but in my mind. It's in our mind, the law of my mind. And then what does it do? Those false beliefs make me prisoner of the sin at work within me. And some of you say, well, come on, Dave, come on. Just a little bit of bad isn't going to lead to external bad. Like a little bit of bad input it's not really going to lead to a little bit of bad output. Like, I can just compartmentalize that in my mind so I can watch that or see that or do that because I can manage that, and it's not going to show up in my behavior. But then you're honest with yourself, and you walk through real life, and you realize that a little bit of inappropriate comedy leads to a lot of inappropriate commentary when you're with other people. Why? Because you've let a little bit in here. You let that movie, that thing, that's just, it's not, it's just comedy, it's funny, whatever. And a little bit of inappropriate comedy, all of a sudden you find it's leading to a lot of inappropriate commentary because what believed then in the heart comes out the mouth. The tongue is a tattletale, it tells on the heart. Isn't that true? How about this? A little bit of pornography, a little bit of porn, maybe just look at that for a little bit. You know, and a little bit of pornography is going to actually lead to sexual impropriety. In fact, studies show that a little bit of it will actually lead to increased degrees of that, and depending on the way that you're wired, and if that's a strong point for you, it will be larger or smaller on that, but people think it's just not a big deal. A little bit of fantasizing about somebody and that person and what it would be like if you were together with them could lead to a lot of unfaithfulness in your life, an inability to make vows to somebody and stick and connect to somebody because it just might seem in your fantasy that that other person just gets you and knows you. A little entertaining of gossip, just a little entertaining of it, just getting some bits of information and loving that is going to lead to a lot of divisiveness in your family or in the church or in the workplace because a little bit of input actually leads to output and a little bit of nurturing a grudge, just saying, I refuse to forgive. I won't do it. I'm going to nurture that a little bit. See, there's just one more act of evidence that's going to nurture the grudge I have on the inside towards someone else. It's going to lead to outbursts of anger or passive-aggressive behavior towards somebody, won't it? Because a little bit of input leads to a lot of output. Why? Because those beliefs, those agreements, those strongholds are made in our mind, and we reinforce them, and we're just paving, we're taking that pathway, and we're either strengthening it or we're disarming it. We can all identify with that. There's this war that goes on within us. It's, normally, it's, it's actually enslaving. It says that I'm a prisoner and what's he saying? He's saying that there's a battle for your brain, and it's intense. And the reason that it's so intense is because it's your mind. And your mind is your greatest asset, because that's where the battleground happens. That's where our beliefs lead to our behaviors, and Satan wants to control your mind. There's a battle for the way that you think. In fact, this isn't in your notes, but I'd encourage you to write it down. Why? Why is this a big deal? Because whatever gets you... Whatever gets your attention gets you. Whatever gets your attention gets you. That's why advertising works, right? It could be annoying. It could be non-intellectual. 
It can be offensive, but it still gets, why? Because it gets your attention. What do you think of when I say, what gets your attention gets you. It's the way it works. I used to watch a lot, a lot of hockey. Main advertiser for, for hockey was Dodge Ram trucks. After about four years, guess what I bought? Right? And then sold it later on. We can identify it. It's a battle for your brain. What gets your attention and my attention gets you, so I need to manage my mind because my thoughts control my life and my mind is the battleground for sin and temptation. So why else do we do it? Not because it's just my thoughts control my life and that the mind is the battleground for sin, but also because it's the key. Your mind is the key to peace and happiness. Some of you are like, I've, I've lost the joy in my life. The joy factor is gone. I, it just, I, I used to be content. I, I'm discontent right now. I don't have peace right now. Something's different in my life. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Paul says this. The same guy who said there's this war inside of me says this in the next chapter. The mind is governed or mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit, spirit of God, is life and peace. Your mind is the key to peace and happiness. See, the unmanaged mind, when you don't manage your thoughts, when you don't control your thoughts, the unmanaged mind leads to pressure in your life. It leads to stress in your life. But when you manage your mind, it leads to peace. An unmanaged mind leads to conflict. But a managed mind disarms it and actually leads to confidence. An unmanaged mind is going to lead to stress. But a managed mind leads to strength and to peace and to serenity. So we need three daily choices so that you and I can even have a chance at having a healthy mind. Satan can't control your thoughts. Now, he wishes he could, but Satan can't control your thoughts. He is a great suggester. But in the same way that Satan can't control your thoughts, God can't control your thoughts. See, God's a gentleman. You don't come to Christ and he makes you a zombie. I just believe, you know, no, he says, you engage your mind, you think, you reason, and understand that my law is so important for that. My word is truth. He's going to transform us by the renewing of our minds, and we participate with that. But there are times that you're like, you just have all these thoughts going through your head, and you, you just think, well, maybe I should pray. And you say, well, God, help me. God, help me not have scary thoughts. God, help me not have depressed thoughts. God, help me not have, you know, lonely thoughts and discouraged thoughts and guilty thoughts and bad thoughts. And you're like, God, just help me. And, you say, and God's saying, no, you help you. I gave you the ability to actually manage your mind. I gave you the ability to control what you think. Your thoughts are actually highly controllable. Now, in that process, is it okay to pray? Yes. God, I am facing all these lies. I'm facing these things that are becoming like strongholds in my heart. God, I'm going to rely on your truth, and I feel, man, I just feel a mess right now. But in the process, we begin to manage our mind. We participate with what God's enabled us to do. And God's like, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm right there with you when you're having scary thoughts. I'm right there with you in all these experiences that you're having. So if I want a healthy mind, if I want to break free 
from all those bad patterns and the way that I've been thinking, I need to make some choices. And let me give you three. Number one, I must feed my mind with truth. Jesus is being tempted by Satan. He's out in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. And he replies back to Satan who's tempting him to eat some stuff. He replies back this. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's hungry, and yet the enemy is trying to get him to use his power to make stones into bread. In other words, Satan's like, let me just suggest that you use your own power to serve yourself. But Jesus said, I came as a suffering servant. That's not why I'm here. And Jesus says, listen, this is how you really feed yourself. If eating carrots is good for eyesight, the word of God is the food you need for your mind. Don't miss that. It's huge. See, people make the best decisions when they have the best information, right? You can have a great leader, but if they have bad information, what are they going to do? Is their decision going to be the best decision? No. They'll make the decision they have with the information they have at the time. And then, of course, the way our media works is 20 years later, we look back at the decisions that our leaders made, and we evaluate it like, well, you should have known what we know here 20 years later, and you should have made ABC decision back then. Even great leaders can make bad decisions if they don't have the right information. And if that's true of our leaders, isn't that also true of us? That you and I can make bad decisions because we don't have truth in us. The full truth. Let me just tell you something. I, I got to challenge you. If you say, I am a Christian, then you need to read the owner's manual. You just have to. Some of you are like, I don't read. Do you read the sports score? Do you, do you follow any teams? Do you read that? Well, yeah, you find out what the score was, don't you? You go read. You read about all sorts of stuff. Now, do you always feel like reading? No, I don't always feel like reading. But what do we do? We make ourselves read the owner's manual because it's truth, and I need to feed my mind. If you're a Christian, you need to feed yourself on God's word. You need it to be uh, what happens. And let me just help you understand what's happening in our culture. A lot of you grew up in church. I would not say even in this room. Maybe not all of you, but some of you in this room. You've grown up in church. You've done intensive Bible studies. You know the word of God in some great ways. And, and the danger for you is that you know so much up here that it's going to be hard for you to work back toward grace toward other people. You might be more, at times, you might feel like you're in judgment on them, and God's going to work your heart back toward grace and compassion. Others of you in this room, though, you are so familiar with grace. You said yes to Jesus. God, I say yes to you. And you gave your life to Jesus, and you experienced grace so much, so you are fully aware of grace and how gracious God is. If God would save you, he could save anybody, and you're so aware of that. But you are not focused on the truth. Your grace is not founded. So you're all aware of the love of God, but you don't know God for who he really reveals himself to be. So what happens? You begin to look at your Bible and you, you got, God would never send people to hell. You begin to, relate, you begin to erase hell out of the Bible. So instead of letting God reveal himself to you and me as he really is, we start rewriting who we think he is because we understand grace. And God says, read my word. I'm not so loving that I'm not just, I'm both. And I exercise the right to follow through on my character and my action. And then what happens for you and me? 
Sometimes you would say, well, leaders in your workplace or in your parents in your home or leaders in your church, they make a decision, and you're so aware of grace and that idea of grace that you don't know the truth about how God feels about certain things, and you're like, well, maybe they didn't have all the information, and the truth is maybe your idea of grace trumped your idea of truth because you're projecting onto God who you think he is and how the church ought to operate and how your business ought to operate and how people ought to operate instead of walking in the truth. It gets dangerous. We think it's an option, but it's not. We need to feed our mind on the truth of the word of God. Well, when do we do this? Well, Psalms tells us several different times. Look at with me, if you will, at Psalm 119, 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I usually rise before dawn and cry for help. Then I go back to bed, right? But that's not what he says. He says, I rise before dawn, cry for help. I put my hope in your word. What is he saying? Early in the morning. But then Psalm 119, a couple of verses before, in verse 97, said, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it when? All day long, right? And in Psalm 16, David says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Anytime. When do we do it? We do it all day long. We feed ourselves on God's word. I mean, you, do you do that in a crisis? Then when a crisis comes up in your day, do you turn toward God's word? Do you begin to feed yourself with the truth of the word of God? Does your heart counsel you at night when you're lying there and it's been stressful and there's no peace? And you feel the pressure. Do you feed yourself with God's word? Or do you in your sleepy state try to sort it out on your own? Maybe during that time you're actually embracing lies, you're reinforcing lies that you believed, you're actually fueling them because of the pressure on the inside. Do you feed yourself all day long the Word of God? So not only do we feed ourselves with the Word of God, but I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. You say, what in the world are those? What are destructive thoughts? Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, quote, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. See, what happens is you and I are familiar with both. You want to do what the Spirit would have you do, but your flesh wants to do something different. Because you and I, in this life, we face the triple threat. You say, what's the triple threat? Well, let me tell you. First of all, the triple threat starts off with my old nature, my flesh, my patterns of thinking. It's my flesh. It's, and what does my flesh do? My flesh always looks at me. It's me, 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 me. And so your flesh is always going to look at self. And so your mind is going to be pressured by the flesh. And what the flesh wants to do, you'll be like, well, I just, why would God create us to feel so much if we weren't supposed to do what we feel like doing? Because we have a body that is corrupted by sin. That body dies because we are corrupted by sin. But thanks be to Jesus, he's the king of overcoming the grave, right? Which means we're not eternally stuck with our bodies, Amen. Some of you are like, amen, you know, just. We have the first threat, our old nature. The second threat is Satan. He can't control your mind, but he will do everything he can to suggest to you. That person's not trustworthy. You can't do that. You're bound by this. There's no way that you can 
drive that place and not go into that place. There's no way that you, and he will just suggest, can you really, do you really think that God's Spirit's going to provide all that you need? Can you really trust God when it comes to your finances, or is that just being weird? What does he do? He's the suggester. He wears down. He asks a question to make your heart or my heart make an agreement with that non-truth. Why? Because if we do that, then we behave what we just chose to believe. Some of us walk through life and we just think, well, our thoughts are our own. Like, there's just all this stuff going inside of me and it's going on inside of me, so it must be mine. No, the truth is you've got a suggester in your life and you've got flesh which is going to tell you stuff. So you've got two threats right there. The third threat is this, the world's value system. The world's value system, that's the world saying everybody thinks this way. And because everybody should think this way, we think you ought to think this way too. Everybody in the world values this, so you better value this too if you want to be like us and one of us. If you want to be normal, then everybody should think this way and feel this way and act this way and do these things. And they call subscriptionism upon you. You must subscribe to what we all think too. You want to be normal, don't you? Well, let me tell you. Be weird. Normal isn't working. Really, I'm honest. Let scripture renew your mind because what the world is saying is normal is not working even for the world. Is our world getting more peaceful? Is our world getting more stable? Is some sort of evolution causing us to get better and better and better and the world's problems to get less and less and less? No. We see that sin corrupts, sin destroys, sin ages. In all these areas, we watch the decay of sin in the world in which we live. And so we have the triple threat. So how do we stand against that? The truth of the word of God. We need something that's grounded beyond our lifetime, before our lifetime and beyond our lifetime, something that is timeless, the timeless truth of the word of God that he spoke into being. I heard this just a couple days ago, but a speaker was saying this. He said, Jesus says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. And that right there is why we know that the scripture is inspired by God. Because no human being would ever say that, right? Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. God's saying, listen, the way the world says to do it doesn't lead to the peace that you desire. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, these weapons, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. He says these weapons, we don't fight like the world fights. we got to fight where? The battleground's in your mind. It's in my mind. That's where these things begin to happen. And we begin to fight there by the truth of the word of God. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a lie that you believe. And if you're taking notes today, or if you have a, an app on your phone and you're looking at God's word on your phone, I'm going to have you highlight some stuff in this verse. First of all, you want to highlight this. I want you to go ahead and circle or highlight the phrase right there that we take captive. I just want you to mark that phrase or write it down on your notes. The first thing he says is that we take captive. We take it captive. What does that mean? Obviously, it means to capture. But here's the beautiful thing. 
when I capture the thought, I'm not the prisoner, it's the prisoner. See, what happens is you think, oh, it's just my thoughts. If they're happening inside of me, they just must be my thoughts. You know, you might have suicidal thoughts. And guess what? Most everybody at some time or another has some suicidal thoughts. The difference is who manages in that moment that results in different behavior. So a suicidal thought will come through, and now you're captive to it, and you're feeling you know, burdened under it, and it can lead you to depression. What did Adam do in his testimony there? He had to write down what he knew to be true and capture all those other thoughts that were derailing his behavior, making him manic. So we capture the thought, I'm not the prisoner now thought, you thought you're the prisoner now. Not only that, but it gives us me one of, I think, is the greatest phrases in this verse. It says this, that we make it obedient to Christ. In the Greek, the word there is actually put it into submission. Think about that for a minute. It's like putting it in the chokehold. Thought, I'm not the prisoner anymore. Not only am I going to capture you, but now I'm putting you in the chokehold. It might be the arm bar. It might be the chokehold. That thought is going to want to tap out. See, it was controlling you. It had the upper hand. It had the, the high ground, Anakin. But now you captured it. And you made it obedient to Christ. You put it in submission to the truth of the word of God. You capture the lie and you put it into submission to what God says about you and your abilities and his work in you and the fact that you can be transformed. You capture those thoughts and put it into submission. You make it obedient. How do you make your mind mind? How do you make your mind mind you? Well, you manage your mind. You capture your thoughts. You make them obedient to Christ. Well, how does temptation actually work? We're going to look at this. I'll speed up here just a little bit. It says this in James chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, but each person, when tempted, they are tempted when they're dragged away by their own desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So there's this pattern that goes on here that James chapter 1 talks about. And let me just throw it out there, what the four steps of temptation look like for you and for me. First of all is desire. There's this desire. Where does that come from? It comes from suggestion. It comes from the flesh, our own flesh. It comes from the world system. They're going to say, this is how you think and how you... We're going to start to desire. God, I, I desire, you know, maybe material possessions, or I desire this, or I desire that, and your flesh is going to embrace it. The enemy is going to come along, and then he's going to cause doubt. Did God really say that we ought to work and earn an income so we could share? Or did God really just say work and earn an income so you can save. I mean, you need security in this life, and oh my goodness, and, and he'll just go on and on and on and on. That's what the world system will do, right? We take it captive, we make it obedient to Christ, but the enemy is going to come along and suggest, did God really say with whatever your temptation is? Third, deception. We believe that lie. You and I embrace it, and now we start to pave the road. And then when that has happened, what happens? Disobedience and deceit. Because a little bit of input leads to output. A little bit of ownership leads to output. So number three, not only should I free my mind from destructive thoughts, but I must focus my mind on right things. I'm going to give you what's called the joy principle. And so you're going to write in these blanks real quick, and we'll look at these verses really quickly. But here's the principle. First of all, we think about Jesus 
Paul is in prison. And what does he do when he's in prison? He says to his prodigy, Timothy, he says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Paul's saying, even in prison, what do I remember? I remember Jesus Christ, the timeless truth of Christ. And then Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 3 says this, Consider him about Jesus, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and, you, and lose heart. Are you growing weary? Are you losing heart? Who should you consider? Who do you begin to capture your thoughts and make them obedient to in your mind? Jesus that Jesus loved you enough that he had to capture against the desire of his flesh. He had to capture against the fears of his mind and the, and the pressure of his body under such intense circumstance had to come before the Father and say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. What was Jesus doing in the flesh? Capturing his thoughts, making them obedient to Christ. He was thinking about the Father's will. Second, we think about others. So first one is J, Jesus. The second one is O, others. Think about others. Philippians 2 says, looking not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And in Hebrews 10, 24, let us, not, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you're lacking joy in your life, begin to look at Jesus. Remember him. Not only that, begin to look out for, look to the needs of other people. Why? Because the world system says, me, 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 me. When you and I come and worship, we have this release because we're all consumed about us when we walk in and we begin to think about Jesus. And we begin to think about how we can help others. And then last, begin to think about eternity. You say, Dave, you just spelled Joe <laughs> instead of joy. It's true. I spell Joe. But here's what we need to do. Think about yourself within the scope of eternity. See, don't just think about yourself. Like, oh, I took care of thinking about Jesus. I thought about others. Now I'm just going to think about me. No, you think about yourself, your life, your impact into eternity. That what you and I do in this life right now, it matters. That there is a forever reward, a forever family, an inheritance for us that will never perish, never spoil, never fade, kept in heaven for you. There's an appropriate time to think about yourself. But think about yourself within the scope of eternity. Think about yourself within the scope of when your life is done, and how is that going to impact your kids? Think about the scope of the long-term implications of your life, of your marriage, of your work, of your retirement, of your future, of your daily choices right now. Think about eternity. Colossians 2, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, however it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human has conceived are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Maybe some of you in this room are saying, that's me. Some of you in this room are saying, I, I don't have enough of the Bible. I need to feed myself on the word of God. I need to let God begin to reveal to me who he really is as he says he is, not as I project he is. Some of you are worried. Well, I, I, I might go blank. I might lose my heart if I go all about the head. And God's saying, no, no, no. You begin to bring life back into your life. You bring contentment back into your life. You begin to bring peace back into your life. 
and God will say, let my message work its way through you, you capture those thoughts. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want you to reflect for a moment on Jesus Christ. He's in the garden. He's before the Father. And he knows he has to walk through the torture of crucifixion for you because he wants to restore relationship to you and there's only one spotless perfect lamb and it's him and yet he's in his flesh and he doesn't want to do it. His flesh cries out against torture like yours would or mine. And yet he focuses on the father and he thinks about others and then he says, not my will but yours be done because I'm gonna think about myself with you in eternity. And he lays down his life and is sacrificed. And then he rises from the dead. He conquers sin and death. He fixes what has been undone. He looks forward to the day like you and I do when our thoughts will be completely on him. We will see him face to face. We will have extreme joy in our lives. We will be with our Savior. We will be freed from this body of flesh. We'll be free from the temptation of the enemy, Satan. He will be conquered. He will be put away. He will be judged by God, and we won't have to deal with him anymore. Isn't heaven going to be a beautiful place? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I've never said yes to Jesus. I, I don't know. And I don't have that forgiveness in my life for my sin. And if today you'd like to receive Jesus as Lord, you're just saying yes to Jesus, then you pray a prayer like this one I'll pray. Just pray it right in your seat. God hears you pray it in your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. And you just say this, Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the dead, that you are God. Jesus, make me a new creation. And today I'm saying yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer, would you raise up your hand anywhere around the room? That today was the day you just said, yes, Jesus. Today I'm saying yes to you. Awesome. Right down here in the front, great, greatest decision you could ever make. By the way, just you can look up at me. Everyone else has their eyes closed, but just greatest decision. It took a man standing on stage for me to buy it and believe it. Awesome. Right behind you, two rows back there, James, as well. Just uh, two rows back. You got one more. Awesome. Anywhere else around the room? Just hold your hand up. We got some people who will wander, give you some information about the decision you made. Anywhere else? You can say yes to Jesus at any time. He's, he's God. He hears you. Awesome. Sun Grove Church, will you give it up for what God is doing among us? That's so good. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.